Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. Before I get into the message, I want to make one quick announcement. Uh, if you've been at Life Church for a few years, you know, uh, once or twice a year, we, we uh, do what we call LC1, where we gather everyone that serves in any capacity at Life Church, just have an awesome night with some great food, and it's, it's always one of my highlights of the year, and we're about to have the, uh, the most special LC1s we've ever had ever. It's called LC1 Vision Nights. Coming up, we have two different choices, August 19th and September 15th. If you serve in any capacity at Life Church, from kids to, to the, the welcome team, to the prayer team, all, all the different ministries, or maybe you're newer to Life Church, and, and you are like, hey, I, I wanna take another step and uh, towards plugging in more, this is for you. Maybe before COVID, you were plugged in and serving on a regular basis, but since COVID, haven't plugged back in, but now you're kind of at a moment where you wanna take a, a next step. All This is for you. This is gonna be uh, two uh, identical, amazing nights over at the Auto Museum downtown, we'll have some epic food, a great time of worship, and we're gonna talk about where we believe God's taking Life Church over the next couple of years. And so if you've not yet RSVP'd for that, you can scan this QR code and RSVP. We have to firm up these August numbers in the next 48 hours, so if you've not yet RSVP'd, go ahead and do that. Uh, even while I'm preaching, I give you permission. And so, um, hey, so... Do you have any memories from your childhood that were turning point moments? Uh, not necessarily that they were incredibly, a great, uh, this incredibly good thing happened or an incredibly bad thing happened, but just a moment where you're like, hey, after that moment, we went into a different kind of season. I can think of a moment like that. When I was 10 years old, it was the summer before fifth grade, and my, my parents took me to this doctor. Dr. Linder, I believe, was his name. He was a neurologist. And he diagnosed me with attention deficit disorder. Really, he just confirmed what my parents had been thinking since I was two years old. Really, he laughed with me, folks, it feels better. And then he, he really, he just confirmed what every teacher I'd ever had and, and I was thinking. And, and I, this week, I did this whole deep dive into the history of attention deficit disorder. And it's funny that... Uh, now we call it attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and it's funny, throughout history, there were all these different names given to this same thing, and to watch the name evolve over uh, 100, 150 years is fascinating. In 1902, uh, one of the first uh, names given to ADHD uh, symptoms was this. This guy, Sir George Frederick Still, he, he's one of the first ones to give a name to this, other than annoying child, please be quiet. Um, this is an incredible name. This, is, this name would never be used today. An abnormal defect of moral control. Nobody, like, psychologists aren't saying that today. Hey, your child has got an abnormal defect of moral control. And, and so, it's, uh, so this whole deep dive, uh, and it's amazing. So, so uh, the next four years of my life, I was on medication back then. They weren't sure if you, what would happen if you kept kids on medication too long, and they thought, Maybe some people grow out of it or learn to cope. And, and, and so over that next four years, I was much less obnoxious and, and teachers were much less irritated. My grades skyrocketed. In general, my life was much more organized. I was getting in a lot less trouble, but having less fun at the same time. 
And the thing about ADHD, it's amazing how many people get diagnosed with it. The CDC in 2019, 11.7% of boys end up getting diagnosed with it, and shockingly, it's about half the number of girls. And here's what I want you to understand. There's a whole lot of people that have ADHD, attention deficit disorder. But what I wanna talk to you about is something that I believe affects a whole lot more of us. In fact, I think it affects the vast majority of Christians. What I wanna talk to you about uh, today is what, what I call expectation deficit disorder. That, that we suffer, we, most of us go through life with a severe deficit of our expectations of what God can do in our lives. And over these next few weeks, we're kicking off a series today that we're calling Immeasurably More. And the big picture of this series is that God has so much more in store for, for what he wants to do in every area of our lives. If you have your Bibles, go over to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three and verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so over these next few weeks in this series, we're gonna be talking about how God has so much more in store for what he wants to do in us and what he wants to do through us in every area of our lives. That God has so much more he wants to do in and through our families. God has so much more that he wants to do in and through our church. God has so much more that he wants to do in and through our friendships. And God has so much more that he wants to do in and through us in the workplace. But I think a lot of us go through life with far smaller expectations of God's activity than we should have, our expectations. Uh, so I, I wanna challenge you to fully engage this series. I believe that this is gonna be one of the most impactful series that we'll do this year. I wanna encourage you to do everything you can to be here on Sundays. If you have to miss, watch online. And, and I wanna encourage you, you'll be, if you normally get our emails, you'll be getting emails uh, sent to you of some devotions and some practices to help you grow in this sense of uh, what I call holy expectation, a sense of, of expectancy of God's work in your life. If you don't normally get our emails, um, you can scan this QR code to make sure that you receive uh, these devotionals. They'll be coming on Monday and Wednesday and Friday. But, but here's the thing. Our expectations of God's activity in our lives are usually way too small. That, that God has so much more in store for us. Let me, I, I read to you the Ephesians 3.20 in the NIV. Let me read it to you in the old King James Version. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The Living Bible says it this way. Now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work in us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask. It says we're not asking enough or even dream. We're not dreaming enough of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hopes. 
So God wants to remind us today that there's nothing he can't do. The same question that he asked to Moses when he said, is there any limit to my power is the same question he asks us. The same question he asked Jeremiah when he said, is anything too hard for me is the same question that he asks us. And so uh, most of the time, our sense of holy expectancy is way too small. Our expectation of God's work in our life is way too small. And I believe that there's a handful of reasons for that, but I believe the biggest reason for that is that the biggest cause of low expectations is we underestimate God's love for us. See, what we see here in the context of this passage is, is uh, Paul, in, in, in verse 20, he's wrapping up this prayer that he starts earlier in verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your being. He's praying for all these things, but then he's gonna tell us what he's really after. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then now here goes second half of his prayer. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Now, now he's gonna tell us what he's praying for. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here's what Paul's praying here. He's praying for a bunch of things, but one of the biggest things we see him praying for here is that these people would really, really, really have understand in this whole new way, this experiential understanding at this whole other level that they would really understand just how much God loves them. And he uses these four different, uh, these kind of, he wants you to get at this big multidimensional love, the height, the depth. He's saying it's massive. It goes beyond your understanding. And I believe this un, when we underestimate God's love for us, it always leads to us underestimating our expectations of his activity in our lives. Uh, go with me here for a minute. I, I, as you think about your relationships, I believe that the more confident of someone's great love for you that you are, the easier it is to have appropriately high expectations of your relationship with them not a demanding or entitled spirit, but, but, but this recognition, and throw it, throw it on the screen here, this recognition that this person really, really loves me a whole great deal, and that there is little that they would not do for me if they believed it was for my ultimate good and in their ability. So that's like when, when we're like the highest level of love and commitment, we'll talk about that in, in a moment, but we can have those kinds of expectations. See, when we, have, when we have a relationship with a stranger, we don't expect that. When we expect very, very little from strangers, if we're asking for their help, like more than, hey, what time is it? We have this expectation that, that we're going to have to pay them some money. I, I was up at Lake Tahoe and, uh, with, with a, a guy on our team and, and we were uh, getting some gas and at this gas station, and there was these two kind of college-age girls from Ireland that were there, and they had a flat tire. And they said, can you, can you change our flat tire? And we were like, 
couldn't think of a way to get out of it. And so we were like, yes, yes, we'll happily change your flat tire. And so we changed this flat tire. These two college girls from Ireland that were here, they're like, they had like what looked like $15. And they're like, would you, would, let, let us pay you this $15. And then I'm like mildly offended. Like, am I giving off the air that uh, $15 is gonna be a difference maker in my life? And because uh, I think that these young college girls probably needed the 15 bucks more than I did. And we're like, no, no, we don't want your money. And they're like, no, no, we really want to give you the $15. And we're like, no, no, please, you keep it. But that's kind of our expectation with strangers. If we're asking something for them, our expectation is to pay for it. And then we expect a little bit more from acquaintances. Maybe if they're kind and it's a fairly small ask, you work uh, in an office and, and the person next to you, y'all have only been working together a fairly short amount of time, y'all are acquaintances, you're not friends, your iPhone gives you that dreaded message that you're like your battery's super low, you don't have a charger, you go to the office next door and say, hey, would it be possible for me to borrow your iPhone charger for 20 minutes? Well, that's the sort of thing we'll ask of an acquaintance. And then you got casual friends. We're with casual friends, if it's not too much of an ask, and we think we might be able to, able to reciprocate later, then you might ask them. You're at lunch with a casual friend from work. Y'all aren't super close, so you realize I don't have my wallet. Halfway through lunch, you're like, hey, I just realized I don't have my wallet. Can you cover lunch today? And then next week, I'll take you out for lunch. But then we have this like next level of what I'd call real friends. So the, there's, there's different kinds of friends. There's, you call a friend, and you say, can you do me a favor? There are two questions, two answers. A answer number one is yes. Answer number two is what is it? Can you do me a favor? Well, what is it? And many times the answer to that means if this costs me less than $10 or takes less than 10 minutes, I'm in. But on these like close friends, the, these are the kinds of friends that you call up and are like, hey, we have to get away from our kids. Can you watch our kids tomorrow night? These are the kind of friends that when you're about to move into a new house, you're like, hey, can you come help us move? These are the kind of friends that if you find yourself stuck in Tonopah, your car breaks down, and you're told, hey, it's gonna take five days to fix the car. And it's not that Tonopah's purgatory per se, but it's not not purgatory. And so you call your friend and you're like, hey, car broke down in Tonopah. No, it's four hours here, four hours back. Could you come and get us? Like that kind of close friend or even a sibling. But then this top level of relationship that for many, maybe it's a relationship as a spouse or as a parent or just as the closest of your best friend. Like I know that, that Claire loves me so much that she would do anything she could for me if she believes it was believed it to be for my ultimate good and if it was in her ability to do it with my six kids because i love them so much i would do anything i could for them if i believed it was for their ultimate good and in my ability now imagine the person in your life who you believe loves you the most you might be sitting by them you might not but imagine the person in your life that you believe loves you the most and then multiply that love times a million. And then multiply that love times a million. And then multiply that love times a million and you begin to have a sense of this love of God. And so in God we have the one who loves us 
the most. And the more real the wonder of this love and this, not just in a, I know God loves me in my head kind of way, but this experiential deep knowledge that Paul's praying that these people would have in a way that only the, the Holy Spirit can bring about in their life because it goes beyond natural understanding. The more this happens, the, 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 the more my sense of expectancy of God's work in my life will increase. Here's the thing, asking God to help us Fully experience his love for us is one of the best prayers we can pray. It's a great prayer that we can pray for people we love. I pray that for my kids most every day. It's a great prayer that we can pray for ourselves. And, 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 and Paul could have prayed for anything for these people. These were first century people, most of them living in poverty, living in a world that was dangerous. Most of them knew what it was to be actually really, really thirsty where they don't know where their drinks, next drink's coming from or really, really hungry. They lived in, in a world that was uncertain with all the things going on and, or wars and the Roman Empire. It was a very, very, very difficult time to live. But what, we, what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't ask for anything that has to do with their circumstances. These people would face illnesses that we just don't even consider. We just, we, we just take some medicine or antibiotic, go to the doctor. These things, or, or infant, infant mortality was incredibly high, and it was a very difficult time to live. But Paul doesn't ask anything to do with their circumstances. What he does is he deals with the deeper issue. He knows that if they have this, if they have this supernatural understanding of how much God loves them, then they'll be able to handle any circumstances, that this was more important than all that. This is a great prayer to pray because we can't grasp this on our own. In Psalm 103, verse 11, David's talking about the love of God, and he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth is the Lord's love for those who fear him. Now, here's the thing. David was not an ancient astronomer, much less a modern astronomer. But David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, as, as far as it is from the earth all the way into as far as space goes, that's how much God loves us. And he didn't know how, how big of a thing he was saying. We know a little bit more now because of science. Let me share with this, you a little bit about this. The Hubble telescope has given us breathtaking pictures of a galaxy some 13 billion light years from Earth. Now listen, I don't understand, I understand Buzz Lightyear, I don't understand light years. But here's to help you understand light year. That would put this galaxy 78 sextillion miles from the Earth. Now these, are, these numbers just blow my mind. I hear about light years and 78 sextillion. When you say, well how many is a sextillion? It's 78 followed by 21 zeros. We were traveling at 500 miles per hour nonstop, literally 52 weeks every year with not a moment's pause. We would reach this galaxy that the Hubble telescope can see in 20 quadrillion years. It's the number 20 followed by 15 zeros. You say, that just makes my head explode. Well, so when David says, as far as the heavens are from the earth, that's the Lord's love for those. It's, it's, this, it's the kind of love that makes our head explode. Paul says, I pray that you would really understand this love that, by the way, you can't understand. What he's saying is in the natural, without this, this supernatural work of the Holy Spirit causing this love to become real and experiential and deep in our life, he's saying, that's my prayer for you, and you're not gonna be able to do it on your own. It's a, it's a great prayer to pray because many times our felt experience doesn't match our spiritual reality. You say, what does that mean? 
Paul is praying for things for these people that in other places he has said that they already have. See, in verse 16, he prays that Christ will dwell in their hearts. But earlier in, a, in Ephesians, he, he makes it clear that the Holy Spirit's already living inside of us. He says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, this deposit, this pledge, the Holy Spirit's already living inside of you. He's, pray, he's praying that they would understand how much God loves them, but that's Christianity 101, for God so loved the world. If you grew up in church, the first song you ever learned was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is basic, basic Stuff when he's, when he's praying that Christians will be filled with all the fullness of God. In Colossians 2.9, he says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So Paul is praying that they would have this experiential knowledge of all of these things that already exist in their lives. They already have everything that Paul is praying for them. Why is he praying that? I believe it's because oftentimes our heart experience, our felt experience, it, what's going on inside of me in my mind and in my emotions and my feelings doesn't match the, my, my spiritual reality. Kind of like this. Imagine that you have $10 million in the bank and yet you also have this condition which causes you regularly to forget that you have $10 million in the bank and believe yourself to be absolutely in poverty. So you're going through your, you're like you're hungry, you got nothing to eat. You're going through your couch cushions, looking for some quarters. How are we gonna go? Are we gonna buy a hot dog at Maverick? How are we gonna do this? Because you have forgotten the thing that was already real for you. You've got this $10 million. You're not, you're not a pauper. You're just living as one because the, the, you're not, the, your, your felt experience and in your mind and your emotions what isn't matching your reality, and that's many times what happens with us. We get spiritual amnesia. So Paul's saying, hey, I, I want you to, to have this full experiential knowledge of the reality of what is true about you, God's love for you, the fullness of God in you. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great way to pray that we'd really understand God's love for us because nearly everything else depends on it. He says, hey, it says, it's as you understand this love that, that you experience this fullness of God in your life. My, our spiritual growth depends on it. My own joy depends on it. Do you ever have a moment where you're just in a terrible mood? And, and, and like, I had this moment last night. I, was, I just was in a terrible mood. I said, hey, Claire, let's go lay on the hammock. And, uh, and what Claire didn't know is, is what was gonna happen is I was gonna take 30 minutes and tell her everything wrong in the world. She was grateful. And, um, <laughs> but we have moments where we're in a terrible mood. And I wanna let you know a great thing to do when you, when you find yourself in that place is to let that turn to prayer and say, God, by your Holy Spirit, would you, would you cause your endless love for me to be more experientially real in my life? Because here's what Jesus said, John 15, 9. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now here's the key phrase. I've told you this. Why is he telling us this? Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That you can't separate our joy from our experiential knowledge of the love of God. My courage depends on this. But scripture tells us that perfect love casts out fear. My own capacity to love others depends on this. When Jesus in John 13 says, a new command I give you, love one another 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The only way I can love the way I'm supposed to love other people is that I would grow in my experiential knowledge of God's love for me. Here's the fourth thing and we're done. Understanding and experiencing God's endless love and power is the cure for expectation deficit disorder. When I, when I grow in my expectation, when I go, grow in my understanding of God's love and his power, so he's praying that they would really understand his love, and then he says, now to him who's able, that little phrase, him who, who is able, that little phrase, who is able, it's, it's this word that, that Paul is using roots of this word repeatedly in this prayer. He had just used it just before in the verse before, and it was translated power. He's gonna use it again at the end of this verse. Again, translated power. The root word is this word, we're, we're dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. And, and, and that's what's being translated in this form of the word here. Now to him who is able, or him who has all the power to do immeasurably more. King James, immeasurably, uh, exceedingly abundantly above. He was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. His Holy Spirit, power, that is at work in us. So earlier I mentioned kind of this idea of these different levels of relationships from the stranger all the way up to the closest relationship that you have. The, maybe it's a spouse or a parent or a closest friend. So we talked earlier about the more we know someone loves us, the higher our appropriate expectations, not a demanding entitled spirit, but the appropriate expectations of a relationship become. The more we believe that this person really, really loves me a whole great deal and that there is little they would not do if they believed it was for my ultimate good and in their power to do so. Now think about that with God. With God, not only does he love me the most, so his willingness is off the charts. And he knows me the best, and he knows exactly what really is for my ultimate good, and his power is limitless. See, there will be times with my kids that, that I, I won't necessarily have the clearest picture of, of what is there for their very best ultimate good. Sometimes maybe I'll have a clear picture of that. Sometimes maybe I, I, I won't. And there will be occasions with my kids where, where maybe I, I do see something that a way I wish I could help them and I do see that it could be for their ultimate good, but their need is beyond my ability. But with God, we have the one who loves us exponentially more, the one who knows us the best, the one who actually does always see clearly what is for our ultimate good and the one who has all of the power. So when, when I consider God's great love for me and I consider God's great Power, what that ought to lead to is this growing sense of holy expectancy, this great expectation of God to be working around me and in me and through me in every area of my life. So with God, it's this. Let me read this to you from the screen. He really, really loves me exponentially more than I could ever comprehend. And there is nothing he would not do 
if it was for my ultimate good, and he has all of the power to do so. You know where we see the clearest picture of these two things coming together as one? God's great love for us and his infinite power. It's an Easter where, where Jesus died in our place, but God demonstrates his endless love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see this, this the world's greatest display of love three days before we see the world's greatest display of power, where, where he rises from the dead, conquering our greatest enemies of sin and death and hell and the grave. We see God's love on display, God's power on display, all coming together. And here's what the Bible says. It says, Paul tells us that, the, or in Ephesians, that this same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that lives inside of us. That's the power that he's asking that, that to reveal that, that the incredible love of God to us in this experiential, real way. It's, it's God's love and it's God's power all in one. And so when we think about God's love for us and God's power, in those moments in your life when you find yourself short-selling your heart of expectancy of what God might do in your family, or in this church, or in a friendship, or through you in the workplace. Take time and meditate on God's love and God's power. Ask him by his spirit to make those things more real in your life and to increase your heart of holy expectancy. Let me pray for you. So Father, I do pray that by the same power, that raised Jesus from the dead, that, that you would give us a, a greater sense of holy expectancy, a greater, that the, the reality and the wonder of your love that goes beyond comprehension, that you would make it more real in our lives, this experiential knowledge of your love that goes to the core of our being, changing how we look at everything in life, and the reality of your endless power. Lord, that you would increase, Lord that, Lord, that we would recognize that your dreams for our lives are better than ours, and that you would give us your dreams for our families, and your dreams for our church, and your dreams for our friendships, and your dreams for our career. Lord, that you would raise our sense of holy expectancy. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.